Hey there, film fans. I'm Jeff. I'm Dave. And I'm John, and welcome back to The Love of Cinema, a pot in which we'll challenge one another to discuss movies, both new and old, with a strictly positive critical eye. That's right. And to avoid lazy negativity, we decided to make this episode a drinking game. <laughs> so anytime we say anything negative, guys, with the delayed giggles, anytime we say anything negative at all, you're going to hear this sound. <clears throat> and that sound means that we're drinking, and we hope you drink with us. So... Pour yourselves a glass and we talk about some movies that make you ask the question, what the fuck was going on in the 90s? Cheers. Oh, deliciousness. Mm. Guys, the 90s were oh, fun. Oh, I just took another another shot of that stuff that uh, my girlfriend's mother brought back from Spain. <laughs> oh, yeah. Shout out oh, to the Linda. Nice stuff. The nice stuff. Shout out, this Linda. Is, this is meant to be sipped. It's delicious. It's but meant, not to meant to be sipped. <laughs> Continue. Um, hilarious. I nearly so passed you for that. So far tonight, I've had scotch, beer, wine. I've had a little bit of everything. This is going to be a good one. Wow. You're a, you're a rock song. And I never keep li liquids next to my computer. So uh, this might be the last time you ever hear from me, people, if uh, I spill on my No, it'll my just pad. sound like a nuclear bomb went off, like when John sprayed beer in his microphone. <laughs> um, guys, is we're going to be talking it, about... Not what? to interrupt the show, but is it me who's having all the internet issues, or is it you, Jeff? I'm, I'm sensing delays and stuff as well. Is it me? I'm not probably, getting any delays on my end. Yeah, it's probably me, but now that you now that Dave said that, it's probably you. Um, <laughs> All right. I'm going to switch Wi-Fis. Talk amongst yourselves. I'll be right back. I feel like you're good. I have no problem with any of you guys right now. It's, it's him him getting us is the problem. All right. Guys, we're yeah, talking about... he just about, doesn't get us. He doesn't get us. <laughs> guys, we're talking about <laughs> summer blockbuster movies. We're going to take the top grossing, highest earning summer blockbuster movies. We are now in 1992 to 1995. We have already gone from 1980 to 1991. Some highlights have included Raiders of the Lost Ark losing to Empire Strikes Back and yeah, Return of the Jedi losing to E.T. And then, of course, Back to the Future beating Ghostbusters was contentious. So that's right. We're taking two movies back to back years, and we are only letting one advance to ultimately decide what is the best summer blockbuster movie of all time. Woo. Got a good list mm. of movies. They're all in the episode notes, as you can see. We're excited to get into it. We're recording yeah, on Father's Day. Thank you mm. to all the fathers out there for being such a great father. I guess not every father's a great father, but thank you. <laughs> Happy Father's Day to all who celebrate and deserve it. Thank you to my father and brother, who is a father, for letting me leave my Father's Day celebration to record this podcast with you, motherfuckers. Speaking of dads who maybe don't deserve it, there was a while, like about a Jesus. year ago. What is it? Happy Father's Day. <laughs> ready? My finger ready? was on the trigger. <laughs> there was a while. For, there was like, this happened for weeks for a while, where I was getting a call from the, the small town of Concord, North Carolina, where I grew up, from the local courthouse, <laughs> asking me, that, telling me that I was behind on my alimony payments. And that I was going to be in, you know, serious trouble, legal ramifications, eventually arrested if I did not come in by a certain date. That means that some dude <laughs> was giving out a fake number <laughs> to try to escape the payments. Either that or you moved and you never and got the paternity like, suit. <laughs> Oh, dude, yeah. I was doing the fastest math you could ever imagine. <laughs> so to all the good dads out there and to that guy, fuck you, dude. I'm gonna give, that's a special one for that dude. All right. Oh, my God. Um, John, when we shout our sponsor out, who has been giving us a lot of issues with Spotify because his music yes, is yes, so yes. goddamn good. It's YouTube. It's YouTube. 
Okay. Oh, it is YouTube. Uh, shout out to our musician and artist in residence, Dasein, D-A-S-E-I-N, for providing all the music on this episode and every single episode. We have been getting binged by YouTube's uh, copyright infringement algorithm. Uh, yeah. We're trying to solve that problem, but apparently, we also love it. Apparently, when you're successful, people go try and protect yeah, your fucking music. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> go take a look on Spotify, YouTube. He's getting some serious plays, and I, I guess it's kicking into action. So thank you, Dasein, for giving us Dasein. your music continuously. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, we're let's gonna, do it, man. We're going to get back to our program, and it, we're going to get there very soon. But, Dave, any news, any shout-outs? you want to talk about The Flash now? you want to talk about it when we come back at the end? Dave and I, I saw I, it together. Yeah, I, I uh-huh. in separate seats because we in didn't know seats. each of us was going to that screening. Yeah, the person who went with me was like, couldn't go anymore because he threw up, and then canceled the ticket and was like, he can take that ticket. And I was like, that is on the day of a major opening. Up. You can't – I don't think AMC has the thing where you can just switch seats. I think you have to cancel no. your reservation and then get a new reservation. That's way too risky on Thursday night of a major opening so dave was like uh-uh <laughs> i mean it didn't matter half the theater was empty but oh that's not really true <laughs> no, it was it was it was kind of full but they did not do well apparently over the weekend uh, really yeah they're, pretty saying, decent. they're saying they're saying it bombed uh it's, but it's also it's also been review Whoa. bombed it's uh there's there's a lot of talk Whoa. about flash going around um let's let's, just get, another way. let's get out of the way now um yeah, actually i'll let you look that up while i'm talking I will, I will. Um, but basically uh a lot of people who are on the negative team of it are making Jeez. making sense because, like, I loved the movie. I thought it was great fun. I thought Me it was too. this like it was a way better victory victory lap than Avengers Ooh. Endgame. Like they yeah. they pulled stuff that only the diehard fans would know and and shit like that. Um, I had a good time, and I have no idea. A lot of the cameos are fantastic. It was quirky. It was funny. Uh, Ezra Miller was fantastic in was. both of the roles, um, which is a shame because. Like from what I hear, not exactly a stable person. Um, yep, and that's still <laughs> got to be resolved. But I, yeah, I think a lot of people stayed away because of the Ezra Miller thing. Um, and a lot of people, uh, someone actually pointed this out on Twitter today. Um, it's like they they don't Warner Brothers is like trying to pin it on the, all the review bombing that everyone gave it, uh, and not on the fact that there are nine seasons of the flash available for free. That's done almost every flash storyline that finished three weeks before this movie opened. Yeah. Our buddy, it's, it's like they're flashed out. Yeah. Our like, buddy, Mr. Mr. Gustin, Mr. Grant Gustin, who played him on the series, that series was kind of renowned critically for mm. a, off and on throughout its run. And they had a fantastic finish, apparently just as an outsider who didn't really anticipate this movie very much. That was confusing to me that they were trying to not acknowledge the fact that there's a whole group of fans that were probably feeling very cathartic by the end of that. Yeah. And then they try to kind of reboot some storylines that have already been told on that show in a movie. And there's some, some weird, like, well, I'll, I will spoil one of the cameras right now. So skip ahead if you don't want to get spoiled, but there's a bit where they show an alternate flash and it's mm. the Jay Garrett flash, but it looks so much like the Jay Garrett from the flash series. Oh, what? <laughs> and but, but then they've had an interview with the guy who played him, and he's like, "Yeah, no, I wasn't in it. I'm, I'm like taking care of a kid at the moment. I, I was not in the DC movie. So if that, if they've, if they've got that image, it wasn't me. Jesus, not and his like, kid, just some kid. Yeah, it's just, just some kid he found. That's what they do in Hollywood. I'm I did. Busy. Hear, <laughs> I did hear somebody, somebody at the end of the movie. I'm, I'm not shitting you. I'm not shitting you. Somebody at the end of the movie went. There was no Grant Gustin. There's no Grant Gustin. <laughs> she said it nice, twice. Dude. She said it yeah. twice back to back. Like, like I mean, that's how mad she was about what ha- it. What and- happened there? Was it filmed and they cut it because they went? They did it the other way. Ezra turned up in the Flash at one point. Yeah. Oh shit! Did he? Yeah. 
yeah, in yeah. the series The Flash, folks. So yeah, yeah, Ezra Miller appeared in the series The Flash. Uh, Grant Gustin is the lead of the series. So just to give you a little number, fifty-five million for opening weekend U.S. Yeah. and Canada. That's not strong. Versus just to give us a little context from this year, one of the biggest openings in recent history, biggest opening of this summer, Super Mario Brothers opening weekend domestic U.S. and Canada. 146 million just to give you an idea of like what a great opening would be so yeah that's a shame spider-verse came slightly under that as well the difference being um this had a 220 million dollar budget and spider-verse had like what 80 80 million dollar budget or something both of these movies had incredible so to anybody out there who's like well i don't want to see it because of ezra miller i totally understand that just think about this he doesn't have any other jobs lined up he is not working regardless of the success of this and that credit roll um, I, think we're still, thing, I think we're still on they for ezra oh sorry um that credit roll at the end of this film had that so many month. <laughs> had so many sure. visual effects artists so many people who worked so hard on this movie that i'm glad for their sake the movie did come out because when i was watching that i was blown away by how many people worked on this movie and yeah. of course there's a lot of that work on every movie but it's like the fact that one person can sync this movie by their antics mm. it's too bad also the were, the cg when they get into it's fantastic like, the Flash yeah. verse. Um, it does look a little bit like the first Harry Potter movies came at Quidditch, where everyone's <laughs> yeah. just a little bit too okay. smooth. Um, but apparently mm. that was a directorial choice. Like yeah. they deliberately, I, I could, I got, I can see that meeting right now. It's like, you know, the guys at Wetter or where, which whoever did that sequence sitting there going, but, but if we do it like that, the whole internet will think we did it cheaply. It's like, no, no, this is what I want. This is what I want. Oh, for fuck's sake. There's going to be so many emails. Oh, Oh, they're gonna bag us on reddit well, but no see, it was a, it was a choice it, they did they did they made that that look was chosen so it's it's not bad cgi that was that was what they wanted to present i agree do you still think i should go see it i haven't seen it yet i think you'd have fun i do actually like because yeah. especially um having covered like a lot of batman movies in the last couple of weeks no, uh, yeah, was, yeah i feel i feel like you would enjoy it we're in that weird time. Yeah. We already have the new Wes Anderson movies playing in, in release, so you can go see. You know, there's so much out, but, but I still think it was great. All right, this segment is out, people. We have to move on <laughs> so we can get into our featured segment, which Jeffrey, of course is the stickler, keeping us on track. Yeah, me of all people. Yeah. <gasps> Guys, you know what I thought about? This is our segue into um, the films that we're going to be discussing today. The, f- the only movie, uh, this is our what, 194th episode? 195th episode 195th. that we've done together? Wow. Wow. The only, so we, we, we've done five episode movies. So we've done five movie episodes. <laughs> we've done three episode movies. What the fuck, man? We've done three movie episodes. We've done two movie episodes. So we probably talked about like 400 movies on this podcast. The only movie we've talked about twice <laughs> is fucking <laughs> Batman Forever. <laughs> it's the only one. This is the first one that we're going to have to talk about two separate times. If only Jeff Ronan were That's here. That's also, just to point out a funny, that's weird. This is our 90, 195th episode. We're ending with 95 the year that's right so uh, look at that so here we are we're in the 90s 1992 versus 1993 and 1994 versus 1995 so coming up later in the show you are going to hear of course uh jeff didn't have that page open (laughs) batman Batman forever and the lion king the lion king is the highest grossing summer movie 1994 and batman forever is the highest grossing summer movie 1995 more on that in a second because that was a very close year there were a lot of movies that were very close at the box office that year but first right now we are going to battle batman returns which is of course is the danny devito penguin batman for those of you who are confused and they that movie is going to be up against 19 
93's Jurassic, <laughs> Jurassic Park. <laughs> Why do we do this to ourselves? Why do we do this to ourselves? <laughs> I oh, had, boy. All the wires got switched in my brain. That's right. He did so list the that, amount of alcohol he'd had before the show. That's correct. So. 1992, people. I can't wait. So, 1992. Your drink still on, Jeff. Returns. John, talk to us what was going on in 1992. All right. This one was pretty clean. Batman Returns uh, clearly at number one with about a 20 million start on everybody else. Number three, number two, and number three for the summer. I'm going to count them because they came out in mid to late May, but Lethal Weapon 3 at number two, and then Sister Act. <laughs> At the end of May, coming oh, yeah. in at number three. So I remember, folks, we're a little fudgy on the May to September, that Memorial Day, Labor Day kind of ish for our yeah. summer. Uh, so I'm going to count both of those. But a little and movie is, that you may have also... And this is domestic as well, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah these are domestic count. numbers. Um, some other movies that you may have heard of from that year that are definitely worth mentioning. Home Alone, motherfucking two. What a great, what another good two sequel. Batman Returns and then Home Alone 2. Uh, Aladdin. Hmm. Quick little anecdote about Aladdin. Aladdin. So this was 1992, folks. That was the first time I went to a movie theater and my parents, I told my parents, guys, I'm sitting alone and I'm sitting at the front. <laughs> <laughs> and they sat in the back, and I went to the front and watched that movie by myself, and it had a life-changing effect on me. Uh, more to come with that. Yeah, Wayne's motherfucking world. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> Wayne's world. We are not worthy. Coming in at number six of that Fine year. Time. Fucking fantastic. Excellent. Let me just reel off some others. Basic Instinct, The League of Their Own, The Bodyguard, uh, Patriot Games, Under Siege, Fried Green Tomatoes, A Few Good Motherfucking Men, White Men Can't Jump, Last of the Mohicans. This is the 90s, baby. Every fucking movie in the top 50 you have heard of. Mm. This was like a you know, golden age. We talked about it a yeah. lot. I mean, it really is just unbelievable. Jeff's favorite movie, My Cousin Vinny, number 28. Yeah. Still yeah. top 30. Come on, getting in there. Malcolm X, Spike right. Lee, Denzel coming hot. I mean, that's fucking fantastic. A river runs through it. Sure. Um, yeah, so many, so many fantastic ones. JFK, we've talked about that on this podcast before, coming in at number 50. So, um, yeah, Jeff, any, right. any specials you want to shout out? I want to come back to Batman Returns a little bit. But um, just so you know, on the worldwide box office, if you count the full opening run, because some movies did come out at the end of the year, Batman Returns actually the sixth highest grossing film of the year. So we are now in that weird area here because it goes Aladdin number one if you count worldwide gross over a long period of time. The Bodyguard number two, Home Alone two, Basic Instinct, Lethal Weapon, then Batman Returns. Batman Returns is the third highest grossing Warner Brothers movie. It technically did not do well at the box office. They were not happy about it. We'll get back mm. to that in a second. Um, some notable things. Alan Menken won four Oscars in two years and six Oscars in four years for all of his Disney movies. And I'm pretty sure he accepted all of them in a mullet. But yeah, so he won two for Aladdin this year for A Whole New World <laughs> and for his score. And Newsies also came out this year. So good year for Alan Menken and terrible year for mullets. Maybe that's why they were retired. They saw him accept these awards and go, nope, not a good look. Hey, yep. Best best film is all over the place. So you have Scent of a Woman, The Player, Howard's End won the BAFTA, Unforgiven won the Oscar. So the, the awards were kind of mm. scattered back then as opposed to nowadays where everybody wins the same fucking thing. Clint. Eastwood wins Best Director Everywhere except Robert Altman won for the player at the BAFTAs. Al Pacino gets his Oscar for Scent of a Woman, except Robert Downey Jr. won for Chaplin at the BAFTAs, a young Robert Downey Jr. playing Chaplin. Emma Thompson wins Best Actress for Howard's End, and Gene Hackman sweeps every every imaginable category for Unforgiven and Best Supporting yeah. Actor. Joan Plowright in Enchanted April, Miranda Richardson, Marissa Tomei very famously beat them at the Oscars, even though she didn't win any supporting awards. Yeah. And Woody Allen they, wins They still bottom. claim that was a, a mistake that was covered up. 
And I'm There's, okay with that. that. She deserves theory theory is still flying strange. around, but no, she was awesome. It's very strange. A couple other shout outs here. I, I'm going to say, and we'll tease this for the future years coming up here in a second. Just a few movies I want to point out, but this is the age that was great for kids. I feel like kids' movies nowadays pander. How good, There were so many good kids' movies, so we'll get there in a second. A couple things shouting out besides Reservoir Dogs. Forever Young, Three Motherfucking Ninjas. How did this not crack three the top ninjas. 10, people? <laughs> the Mighty Ducks. Again, John oh, said yeah. Wayne's World, but good for kids. Oh, my God, I have seen those, those movies so many times. Yeah, oh, yeah, again, fantastic time for kids at the movies. Mm. For Richer or Poorer with Tim Allen and Christy Alley was always on TV, so that was in there. For your theater people, you got Noises Off and Of Mice and Men. You got Ladybugs with with um, Rodney Dangerfield was always on TV. White Men Can't Jump, the first Beethoven, Thunderheart, Sleepwalkers, and Sino Man, Sister Act, I think you said, House Sitter, Honey, I Blew Up the Kids, the sequel, the Joss Whedon Buffy movie came out this year. Death Becomes Her with Meryl Streep. Um, we talked about that. I talked about that on a different podcast. I talked about it on Film versus Film podcast. Death Becomes Her, Robert Zemeckis, Meryl Streep. Little Nemo is it is it, if you really want a creepy give you nightmares so good, animated mm. movie. Little Nemo really fucked me up. Isn't that was that the a, scariest. A doll? Yeah. That was the Raul scariest yeah. animated movie for me that I saw. Oh, Honeymoon in Vegas, School Ties, Singles, Mr. Saturday Night, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, Lorenzo Sawyer's, Mr. Baseball, you gotta love, Under Siege, Candyman, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Toys, Hoffa, Saved by the Bell, Hawaiian Style, and last but not least, possibly the best Christmas movie of all time, The Muppets Christmas Carol, 1993. Wow. Mm. Wow. David, anything you want to say about these? Did you yeah. say 1993? Yeah, I mean, when, when, when the Muppets 92, Christmas 92, Carol... 92, 92, 92. Yeah, when, <laughs> when, when Muppets Christmas Carol came out, it was like over. You can stop making Christmas Carol movies. Yeah, that we're is, done. It is I love Christmas staple. Vacation, but that was before this, so that was it, yeah. And Home Alone, Well, I mean, Christmas Carol movies, because, oh my God, there's so fucking many of them. Touche. Yeah, sure. <laughs> plenty, plenty of them. All right, Batman Returns, last thing. $80 million budget for Batman Returns, the original... Movie made four hundred eleven million dollars worldwide, but this one made three hundred fifty nine on more than double the budget. I mean, no, 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 that's not even true. It only made two hundred sixty six million dollars worldwide on an eighty million dollar budget. Which, if you factor in marketing costs, yeah, they sold a lot of T shirts and stuff. But if you factor in advertising and marketing, this movie basically didn't make very much money. It did well in rentals and stuff, but part yeah. of the reason was that as actually. We were very prude in the 90s. It was considered too adult and too sexual in nature. McDonald's refused to promote the film doing their traditional cross-promotion that they used to do in the 90s with movies. They refused to because of its sexual nature of Catwoman. The way that Catwoman was described as too sexual in leather. Oh, my God. Yeah. The also, 90s yeah. are so fucking prude. Also, you know, Danny DeVito dropping lines like, just the pussy I've been waiting for. Like, it's <laughs> <laughs> true. But what's, yeah. yeah. But what's funny is they actually um, uh, Tim Burton was 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 dragging to to sign up to do this movie. He didn't he didn't like the first movie. He didn't like his own movie because he figured like half of it wasn't even his. So um, they hired a different scriptwriter who obviously Tim Burton ended up firing. But they actually made it more like a Harley Quinn type character for Catwoman, which was even more sexual. So they actually toned down Catwoman to make her a little bit more real, to make it a little bit more like masochistic, like um, you know basically fuck men, you know, which obviously is in this movie. Um, but apparently because of um, using sex appeal to appeal mm. to Bruce Wayne and to use that, apparently that was too much for people, even though... Also, the McDonald's McPussy was vetoed. Uh, <laughs> Where's my mother? Jesus Christ. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> oh, that's good. All right, Dave, did you rewatch yes. this movie this week? You yes, talked, I did. At the, at the Flash, we were talking about it. All right, why don't you kick us off here? Talk to us. 
I mean, it's it's one of those ones where you just get a dream cast and you're like, oh shit, this is like awesome. Like you got Michael Keaton reprising as Batman. You got Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. Given, an, have you seen the clip where she does the the whip scene, the behind the scenes clip, and she nails no. it in one take? Like she oh, took shit, those heads right? off with the whip. Yeah, oh, on the dummies. Wow. Um, Ooh, yeah, and uh, of course Danny DeVito. Um, slowly becoming more Danny DeVito, the crazier he gets. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> see, when he starts, when he starts off, he's acting. By the end of it, it's just fucking Danny DeVito in a fat suit, like it's, <laughs> yeah, talking to penguins. Yeah, yeah. and uh, but yeah, this was this was definitely like they went from a single villain to they started to bring in the menagerie a little bit, and this this really worked for me. Um, Walking, Christopher. Yeah, oh god, so yeah, good. shit. How can I leave him out? Yeah. yeah as a yeah. as a villain, he was like, Yeah, I'm I'm evil. What are you gonna do about it? Like, so you did rewatch it? <laughs> yeah. And when was the last time you think you had seen it? Uh, were, you, were you a fan of this one? Like, you know, after it came out, did you rewatch it quite a bit or I uh, I did, yeah, quite yeah. a lot. Um This was always on cable. It was yeah. always on TV. Also, my screening of this when I went to see it um in the movies was stopped due to a fire alarm. We all got evacuated the car park. And then, of course, they're like, oh, yeah, there's no fire. Everyone went back in and went, start the movie from where you left off. Let's go. Like, no (laughs) one was leaving. No one wanted the refund. It's like, start that fucking movie again. I need to see the end of this. And, uh, yeah, so it was, yeah, it was fun. This was was good fun. It's campy, not too campy. Um, My my absolute favorite scene is when um, they throw the mistletoe line around the -hmm. second time. Because they they say you know a uh, kiss under the mistletoe can, eating mistletoe can be deadly a kiss can be deadlier if you mean it or whatever um it's it's something like that I'm paraphrasing but then at the ball they accidentally say it to each other backwards and realize who each other is yeah and the look on Michelle Fiverr's face just like yeah. gets you every time she's like do we have to fight now mm-hmm. and I'm I'm just like oh. <laughs> yeah it was going so well for you uh such a sexy scene too i just i love that uh an obvious choice yeah because she's literally trying she's literally trying to get him out of the room to to bang him yeah and then that happens she's like oh shit well i love that um it's a masquerade ball right yeah Yeah. and they don't only yeah the only people not wearing masks are are them there's there's so (laughs) many this movie, I feel like more than anything, uh, just to count me in, I rewatched this last year, and I think I watched it when we were doing franchise. So I had seen it twice in a couple of years. I did not watch it again this week, but still really fresh. Uh, I was more into this one as a kid than I was the first one. Um, and I guess it's because, remember how last week we were talking about how the first Batman really doesn't have that much action? per se not yeah. that this one has tons of action you know relative to like modern movies it still doesn't yeah. have tons of action runs for mayor it's not exactly like you know yeah. fast acts but there was something terrifying about about devito's penguin that like captivated oh, yeah. me as a child and i do feel like i was like one of those people who i bet most people who were my age were deemed too young to see this movie but I, of course i still saw it mm. um uh, michelle pfeiffer's catwoman is just she was so sexy. Like she made the comment about Jessica Rabbit. This is probably number two in line when she says meow and, you know, when she's yeah. just be- becoming her, there's just, there is something that I kind of can't believe she was allowed to pull off uh, with and still, and still be believably just so, so much more than a sexual object. Like mm. she, she did bring a lot of sexuality to it, but she still was believably fierce and powerful and conniving. And Yeah. 
Some, somebody tried to do it. that with the uh, the Catwoman character in Gotham when they introduced it, but the difference like was it. she was she was like fifteen. Yeah, she was so young. Yeah, and she's like Ugh. like licking herself and acting like a cat. And I think uh, it was the second episode of Gotham, and someone I think someone took him in a room that week and went, "Don't ever fucking do that again," because she never acted like that ever again in the series. <laughs> she, yeah. I actually watched the first season of Gotham, and you're right. Um, I love the opening of this where they basically do like the Moses opening yeah. right with the baby the baby in the cradle going down the sewer so good. and then yeah. 33 years later yeah it was it was yeah. it's just like fucking 10 commandments right it's like it's yeah. very weird similar and they have that gothic choir that i think harry potter ripped off a couple of years later that just <laughs> it's ooh, like creepy creepy gothic choir um this is my choir. favorite just... this is my favorite this is my favorite batman movie growing up the joel mm-hmm. schumacher movies the lighting of it and i love the the we'll talk about this later but the the way that the the bat cave looked was so much cooler the Val Kilmer Batman and such. Whereas this is like dirty and decrepit, which is also in the Flash movie. A little bit of a spoiler, I guess. There, um, did you guys know Ben Ben Benedict Cumberbatch can't say the word penguin? <laughs> what? Do you guys ever see this Benedict Cumberbatch? Like, like a, a um, voice did voiceover for like this nature thing, and he couldn't say penguin. He was like penguin. Penguin. He was saying penguin, penguin a lot. Pen- yeah. Anyway. Penguins. Yeah. And the way Christopher Walken says baubles is worth everything. Um, yeah. I, this movie. Oh, wait, John. Vincent Schiavello from Ghost, the guy that you never remember what movies he's in. Is, is, as soon as I saw him, I was like, you, John. That is him. He's the leader of the circus or his like yeah. penguin. He's like the leader of the penguin gang. Yeah. It's a callback to last week, people. Um, but yeah, this is this was by far my favorite Batman movie of the 90s growing up because it was so creepy, but it was intoxicating at the same time. Mm. The penguin story and also the way they used the gags that I don't know enough about the series, the old series to like really comment on it, but the way they use the umbrellas in this movie, go, go gadget helicopter, the way he uses it as like the uh, make you pass out kind of thing. (laughs) It just had that old school comic-y TV show feel to it as well. It's just to give you a splitting headache. (laughs) Like hit 25 different, and then then of course it turns into a machine gun and stuff and it can make you fly. It's just all of that works so well for me. And of course I love Catwoman, but the penguin was the one that really enticed me. Danny, the shamelessness of Danny DeVito eating a yeah. fucking raw fish while he's announcing his run for mayor. Yeah. Like, yeah. When he bites the guy's nose. Could, could be worse. The, My nose oh, could yeah, be yeah. blood. Yeah. When, he's, when he says that line before he bites the guy's <laughs> nose, he's like, it could be worse. I could have my nose bit off. And the guy's like, what? And then he bites it. Like as a kid, like the suspense that I had in those like three seconds before he actually did it. Yeah, yeah this is this is it. But the, the only, the, the thing that is curious is I don't think about Batman that much in the rewatch. I think about the other characters. And Michael Keaton's amazing in this movie, this, but it's this like is Penguin definitely steals the something, movie for me. It's definitely something they run into um, as yeah. they start introducing these villains because the villains are bigger than Batman. Like And Walken. Walken's well, such a good kinda, character. It, yeah. Isn't that a similar? We can make a parallel for Dark Knight with that, can't we? Like Begins is obviously Batman's origin. In Dark Knight, you do start to think of Batman as the straight man within this context of like how these characters, these uh, villains evolve and their origins and yeah, how they affect him. I don't know enough about how Bruce Wayne operates in this world. I think that's something that the Chris Nolan ones did so much better is that he like he comes he didn't, in the first one, I guess he was just wealthy and famous, but we didn't see him as a town leader. You know, we didn't see him as that mm. like, person like the head of goldman sachs or something that goes to meetings and does the events we, i don't see him that like even in this one he shows up and he's like he has clout and class and he can just walk in and get a meeting with christopher walken's character but i don't see any other relationship that bruce wayne has so i really think that if they built out the bruce wayne that could have helped mm-hmm. michael keaton in this as opposed to just the batman stuff but because i love the idea of the mask with the who's who's crazy i'm not in a mask right that's the joker line for before but it essentially gets relived here where the penguin's running for mayor he's like i'm not hiding you know and and batman is I just don't see enough Bruce Wayne in this. Anyway, 
Yeah, no, I agree. More than anything, I, I think it really is just the tone. Um, looking back on these movies, it's just really made me realize it's not that Tim Burton isn't still extremely talented and still making movies, but this was such a unique, he just had such a unique vision. And the fact that he was able to make these giant studio pictures and have such an impact on what we thought of commercial cinema with this, you know, theatrical, over-the-top, campiness, very, very stylized uh, aesthetic. It's something really unique. And I just feel like we were we were really lucky that some, they gave somebody like him an opportunity to make something. Yeah. You know, yeah. Something I feel like, the, I feel like this, this, scale. this movie is the perfect midpoint between the TV series and Batman Begins. Mm. It's, it's so many, there's, there's yeah. definitely some ominous there, but they've got the camp of the previous show, like with the umbrella gags and stuff like that. Um, I didn't know, I only just noticed on this rewatch when the penguins are marching through Gotham, some of those yeah. sets were miniatures. I never noticed this before. So some uh, of those sets are miniatures and yeah. Dave, you'll like this. I went to, oh, God damn it. Michael Fink. Michael Fink was the uh, special effects uh, head. He just, he retired from USC this past year and I got to go to a talk with him and a bunch of, new age special effects people. And he referenced this movie quite a bit because it was one of the very first times that they used a combination of miniatures and digitals to create the marching penguins. Yeah. And uh, it was the, one of the first movies where they ever really pulled it off successfully. And it was like a huge step forward with ILM and using a uh, crowd CGI. And he, you know, he just, a lot of his references were to this and then over the ages. So I just wanted to mention that just cause. And then Lord of the Rings came along and stole crowd CGI. Exactly. Oh, of course. Yeah. But it was like, we can yeah. do that. How do we get 10,000 orcs? Yeah. And the, pe- and the yeah. penguin eating raw fish was so Smeagol like. You know, Lord of the Rings is like, yeah. Very, very Smeagol like. No, the, Jeff, the, you, thing you that, mentioned the thing that Weta wrote for their crowd dynamics was uh, it would take one 3D model and, ge- and like regenerate um, like a thousand of them, but they would act about their environment. Yeah. So if there was a log, it would jump over the log. I think like my that. favorite, I think, J- Jeff, you. You were talking about like Bruce Wayne in action as Bruce Wayne. For me, I think this movie, this movie really popped and transcended the series and what the first one had done because of the political angle. Yo, like, yeah, with, th- there's yeah. such an obvious Commissioner Gordon and you know these tenant characters that are going to make us think about the crime dynamic, but. You know, other than Harvey Dent, like, of course, there's going to be a political angle. We have a fucking vigilante out there. You know, it's not just like the the police, Detective Commissioner Gordon and the newspapers. What is happening with the politics? So I really like that they just put it front and center. And Mm -hmm. I love I love the artifice. They do it in the first one. They do it here that like the mayor is running and there's like. 30 people that listen to his speeches <laughs> on a street corner. Yeah. I love that. Only in Tim Burton's world could we believe that that's like, <laughs> yeah, all of Gotham is listening to this guy talk. I don't know. There's just, I, I really appreciate that. Um, but more than anything, it's the scariness. It's still, yeah. it really stuck with me. That movie freaked and me out. I love that they, they went risky with the sexism. It was, it was so blatantly sexist. Um, Christopher Walken, and it, like meaning the characters. So Christopher Walken, with, like the way he treated Michelle Pfeiffer, nobody should ever be treated that way. So when she turned to Catwoman, it was so justified. The original script actually had her killing more men. She actually killed more men in the in the original script that got um, cut. But I love that they, they didn't shy away from that. And I mean, in the last one, I said it, I kind of made a joke about the fact that like the we were rooting for like the venture capitalist billionaire and not like you know the working man or whatever. But um, in this movie, I love that Christopher Walken's character is such an obvious villain and the way he's pretending to be. You know, such a giving person, giving some money away while he's rigging the whole system so that he could make money and screw everybody else. I think it works so well. Also, a great hydraulic lift program in the sewers. Really great how they (laughs) figured out. Yeah. 
They, re- they really How took they- care of their sanitation workers. Yeah, <laughs> Dave. Do you think those were fake penguins that walk the penguins' body out so many at the penguins. very end? Oh yeah, yeah. Because that they looked real as fuck. Like the, <laughs> that shot when the king penguins are you know holding his body and coasting it out that fucking terrified me. You know, this is such a weird throw out image, but one of the snapshots I have of this movie is when the woman who's announcing um, in the penguins' lair just hmm. disappears into black. Yep. Like, yeah. who was she and where did she come from and where did she go? Like, that, that, I don't know. There were so many weird things. Like, you know, when you're a kid, these images stay with you for no reason at all. That bothered me a lot. I remember, like, where she, did his people go? Yeah, Everyone's she just got, abandoned. She got away. <laughs> you're, this is great. Dave, you nailed it. This is just, he just becomes Danny DeVito. Yeah. By the end of this, <laughs> Frank from It's Always Sunny is just ranting in a fucking zoo sewer by the end of this movie. We're wrapping, up, we're wrapping up here by saying um, Warner Brothers really wanted to cast Marlon Brando as the Penguin, and um, or no, Tim, oh Bur- Tim, Bur- Tim Burton did, and Warner Brothers was like, fuck no, we want <laughs> Dustin Hoffman, and somehow they got to Danny DeVito. And also, Tim Burton really wanted to incorporate Robin into this and ultimately cut it out, but he really wanted to cast the Black Robin, so he had signed a contract marlon wayans marlon wayans could have been robin in this movie wonder what how that would have changed his career but they ended up writing him out of the scripts and then when joel schumacher took over he recast his own robin and of course it was chris o'donnell who we'll talk about later weird right last little point i'll make a little trivia i thought this was fun it's just it's right on the imdb trivia page a lot of great stuff warner brothers obviously these tentpole things you know they matter so much there, this is an enormous backlot. For anyone who doesn't know, like there are different <laughs> stages, sound stages on these massive backlots that these studios on that are dedicated to television shows and movies that are being shot. Supposedly, fifty percent of the Warner Brothers lot was taken up with Gotham City sets when they were making this. <laughs> That is just an yeah. incredible investment from the studio. It, yeah. <laughs> it looks like the one Gotham set piece was just used over and over again, that yeah. square. So that, that square must have been huge. Stage yeah. 16, I'm sure. They should, yeah. they should have been using bodyguard sets because that last, movie last time I went through double the, this and gross. Yeah, once the, last time I went through the Warner Brothers lot, the uh, City Hall was trashed because they were filming a uh, Call of Duty commercial for PlayStation. Oh, sweet, dude. <laughs> yeah. Fuck yeah. Did you guys, when you guys watch this on Max, did you have sound issues? I had to have my sound on 75 in order to listen to this. I had to crank it as much as possible. I could not hear this I listened, it was not on 75. I watched it last year, but it was... No, I didn't have that issue no, last year. All right, cool, guys. Either. So that... Good we gotta, talk. We got to move on. <laughs> Dave, your segment timer is fucked up. Your segment timer is not right. I don't know what's going on. No, it's absolutely right. We We've wasted all of that talking about... Batman. No, because we started like 20 minutes or you started the segment time where we were talking about The Flash or something. There's no way that we only are going to have five minutes to talk about 1993. Welcome back to the show when we talk about the segment timer. (laughs) 1993. People, this movie, this movie. (laughs) What is it, Jeff? What is the movie? (laughs) Jurassic Park. Oh my God. Is going to be competing against Batman Returns. Jurassic Park, Batman Returns. What is the better summer movie? We are going to decide right here in one second. Five minutes go. At the end of this segment, Jurassic Park. John, what were some of the highest grossing movies of 1993? So again, just for domestic, just for the summer, this one was really clean. One, two, three, top grossing movies of the year. Jurassic Park, The Fugitive, and The Firm. That's what I have uh, according to the numbers. Um, fantastic, fantastic, fantastic movie. God damn it, I love The Fugitive. <laughs> it's so good. We talked about uh, it. Go through our feed. Yeah, just to give you an idea, though, I didn't do this last time, but um, the distance between The Fugitive, which was number two, coming in around $184 million for the summer, um, for the year, but opening in that summer. Jurassic Park, just domestic, because it's way more worldwide, was about 340 
So it's just like, I mean, you know, on a whole other planet of success as he as he tended to do when he knocked it out of the park. Some other big movies from that year. Sleepless in Seattle. Give it up. Nora Ephraim. Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. Indecent Proposal. Um, fucking Cliffhanger. The Pelican Brief. Groundhog Day. Classic. I love to see Still that. Still a classic. Still a classic. It's a number 12, top 20. I'm glad to know that. Um, Dave. <laughs> Do you remember that Kevin Klein movie? I love movie? that movie. Yeah, yeah that was so good. great. Fucking cool runnings. Love that movie. Uh, the Crying Game. To make you of a bobsled. Rookie of the Year. The Three Musketeers. I was talking about that movie the other night for no reason at all. Did you see, the, did you see the new version of Dave they made that's gender changed? No. It's Melania? No. What? Oh. <laughs> Oh, Jesus Christ. It's reality TV. I'll get him. I'll get him. Uh, the Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, Sister Act 2. Uh, Made in America. Adam's Family Values. Wayne's World 2. Wow, they really pumped out Wayne's World fast, and Sister didn't they? Act. They, yeah. they, made that, they made that sequel and that Sister year. Act two. Sister Act 2 is fast, too. Yeah. Back Sister in Act the habit. 2 is fast. Back Dude. in the habit. Hocus Pocus. Give it up. Hot yeah. Shots Part 2. Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> Uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights. God Almighty, I love that movie. It's part part, part two's the one that has um, the Wall Street joke in it, right? It's it's hailed as one of the best jokes in a, one of those comedy movies ever. I loved you in Wall Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's part yeah. two. That's it part is two. the famous. If you know a joke from Hot Shots, it's probably from part two. That one I feel like was yeah, way more so successful. Funny. It resonated a lot. Uh, excuse me. Um, Age of Innocence, a Scorsese movie that did not do quite as well. Still came in in the like, top fifty. Jeff, come at me. There's a bunch of other movies that we've all that we've all, all right. heard of, but yeah, 1993. So, well, well, I'll come back to Jurassic Park in a second. Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire was number two worldwide, then The Fugitive, and Schindler's List was actually fourth worldwide. All of them made over 300 wow. million dollars. Um, the original run, so just the 1993 run of Jurassic Park, made over 900 million dollars worldwide. It was by far, <laughs> it was by far the highest grossing movie ever to that time. More than Star Wars, more than anything else that, that had come before. Almost a billion dollars. Opening week, it's opening weekend topped 50 million dollars. Is the first movie to ever top 50, and it would be the highest grossing movie for I think four years. I think another movie we have will have beaten it. Um, and Brandon, folks, folks, just really quickly. Guys, just don't look at it. Just take a guess. What do you think the budget for Jurassic Park was? Well, he hired two teams to do the effects. We were talking about the Flash earlier. We're getting this episode. Million. 200 million. Dave's coming in at 120. Jeff, what you got? I would say under 100, but I would say like 80. 85. $63 million. Yeah. Nice. Nine hundred million dollar yeah. return. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. They're still making them. And with re, with re, with re-releases and stuff, it, it's top one point one billion, and the, the you know rentals like yeah, it's its own. Who knows how much it's actually? Yeah, made. how many times did you check out this fucking VHS tape? Yeah, exactly, right. Oh That's, my god, yeah, VHS was shredded by the end. Until of you bought okay. your own and then rip. Yeah. Uh, other things that happened this year: um, actor Brendan Lee was accidentally killed on the set of The Crow. Famous story. Um, Super Mario Brothers was a box office bomb, but it lived on to be a cult classic. That is, of Dave, course, Bob Dave Hoskins and, I really and, liked that movie. Yes. and John Leguizamo. <laughs> Last Action Hero also bombed. That was disappointing. Um, so sorry to Arnie, but it came like out the week. Movie. But it came out the week after <laughs> Jurassic Park, and so people were still <laughs> hearing Jurassic Park, yeah. and it was all. Real. And then, of course, this is the year that River Phoenix Tom accidentally overdosed. In a couple of weeks. <laughs> Talk about River Phoenix overdosing. And he's <laughs> River Phoenix accidentally overdosed on Halloween this year while he was filming The Dark Blood, but of course was not on oh, set when so this sad. happened. Uh, Oscar categories Tom Hanks won for Philadelphia, famously beating Daniel Day Lewis for In the Name of the Father. Um, Holly Hunter won for The Piano for Best Actress. Angela Bassett, for What's Love Got to Do with It, won the Golden Globe for Best 
comedy lead actress performance. Tommy Lee Jones, clean sweep in The Fugitive, except Ray Fiennes won the BAFTA for Schindler's List. Mm. And then it was about the kids. Winona Ryder won the Golden Globe for Age of Innocence, but Anna Paquin at 11 years old. That is right. That Anna Paquin. Yeah. Won an Oscar for The Piano. And Bruce Springsteen, of course, won an Oscar for Streets of Philadelphia. Other notable films, Leprechaun, Sniper, which would go on to have eight straight-to-video sequels. Sniper. Uh, Disney's Homeward Bound, Touching, The Vanishing, Born Yesterday, Elijah Wood and Courtney B. Vance, and Huck Finn, The Sandlot. I told you, the kids kids movies are starting to come out. Benny and June, Boiling Point, Much Ado About Nothing, Hot Shots Part 2, you said, uh, Sliver, Cliffhanger, Sleepless in Seattle, The Firm, and Just in July. This is July, right? And and so Jurassic Park and Blast Action Hero came out in June. Rookie of the Year, Weekend at Bernie's 2, Free Willy, Boneheads, Robin Hood's Men in Tights, and So I Married an Axe Murderer all came out in July that year. Then after that, Searching for Bobby right. Fisher, And that's Surf all the time ninjas. we've got to talk yeah, about exactly. Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah, Jesus Wait, Christ. Dazed and Confused, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, Rudy, so Rudy. Carlito's Way, Demolition Man. Okay, we can move on. Unbelievable. How a many Bronx Tale. Great yeah. movies you just True made. romance, guys. Come on. Okay, True romance. All right, where do we even begin? Jurassic How many Park. times do you think y'all have seen this movie in your life? Like, it's, I'm not, you know, we, we, we're hyperbolic sometimes. For me, it's it's probably at least 40 or 50 times. I know that Bored, it's probably yeah, probably around there. Like, uh, you know, I can't imagine how many times I watched it as a kid. And I know I've seen it at least 10 to 20 times as an adult. Dave? I, I, yeah, it's, it's up there. I, I have a lot of fond memories about this. Uh, I went and saw it in the cinema uh, when it first came out and I took a friend from college and she was not ready for the shit that went down in this movie at all. Yeah. Um, like that, oh, that scene where they pull up in the, uh, the field and it's just absolutely wondrous. Like I, I wish mm. I could see that in the biggest screen possible. I want those dinosaurs to be life-size. I have since, the field, but the, when the they, field. they, yeah, when they pull up and see the, like the brontosaurus for the first time, oh, like the sure. first yeah. big dinosaur yeah. reveal. It's just uh, you're just sitting there with your fucking jaw on your chest. If only but, the score was better, you know. If only was... that moment could have been highlighted by a better theme. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, and John Williams did not. Know it's a joke. <laughs> and John Williams did not win best score. Unreal, unbelievable. But like when I went and saw this, uh, the the one scene where um. It's during the Velociraptor stuff at the end uh-huh. and where she's climbing up in the pipe and it jumps. This girl pulled her legs up onto the chair. She was that yeah. that into this movie. It had it well and truly. And then when Laura Dern finally like flicks the switch and leans back and the Velociraptor comes out of the wiring, out of her chair, running down the aisle. She got about Mr. four Grant, steps I down think the aisle. Back yeah. in business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Out of a chair, four stairs down the aisle before she came back and sat down really embarrassed. So yeah, this this definitely had the Guys, this was the capacity gonna, to grab you. For me, this is like, you know, the cheesy when I look back, like Aladdin, like I count both of these. Aladdin was the first time I like kind of had my own experience, but Jurassic Park was the first time I sat in an audience conscious of what was happening. And I was watching an entire room. I saw this on one of those great old $1.50 theaters near my town where I grew up. So it was a giant balcony, 1920s theater, huge 80 foot screen. And I felt, you know, 400 adults freak the fuck out. Yeah. And I was like, this is magic. This is yeah. incredible. I was probably too young to have seen it on the big screen, but my God, it was so, it affected me so much. I just can't understand. I can't say it too little. This was my Star Wars, you know, for, for this, people who star Star Wars when they were younger and mm-hmm. it made them want to make movies. This just changed Wait, everything for me. I should, I should be clear. 
John Williams wasn't nominated for this because they submit Schindler's List. It was the same company, so they didn't even submit Jurassic Park because they thought he would win for Schindler's List. So to be fair, mm. he should have a sixth Oscar for this. Um, and because Steven, Steven Spielberg, get this, filmed Jurassic Park and then went straight to Schindler's List <laughs> and then said, George Lucas, please help me out. Um, this is the first movie that I know gave me nightmares. I mean, other things like I'm sure Ursula gave me nightmares and, you know, the beast and shit. But like I was young, I saw this at a, like a YMCA, like after because every kid loves dinosaurs. Um, so I, I remember very vividly having nightmares for a very long time after yeah. seeing this movie, as if I thought dinosaurs would attack me. You know what I mean? Like as if I thought I was unsafe being in the middle of New <laughs> Jersey. Lucky, lucky I was you like, didn't oh. go with that agency part two then. Oh no, part two fucked me up. When yeah. the, with the kids in the bedroom, that, yeah. that, that for sure. I like literally would look out my window and be like, I think a dinosaur might be staring me in the face after this. This movie fucked me up so much. It is so good. And you have to watch the ILM documentary or the movies that made us when they talk about doing the original rendering and they get everybody in the room just to watch that like 20 second model mm, of um, yeah. the T-Rex running in the forest. Well, and then basically literally just from one dinosaur running, they went, oh my God, we can make this whole movie. It's yeah, wild. there was yeah. like I've, I've said this in a previous episode, but like my hat goes off to the guys um, who because this is where the render man renderer came from, basically, um, and they they had to code the material to go on the the CG dinosaur because there's no material for dinosaur skin with rain on it. Like, yeah, right. It's like they had to code that from scratch, and that's well, that's where that sort of custom build kind of started, I think. I'm gonna and the sound, just grab I their names because I feel like they're so fan. Was it Rocky? One of them? Is that? Am I misremembering that dude's name? There's those two guys that like did this together. One of them led the render, you know, effects by himself, but the other dude was like they were like the the two who were really working on this technology. Yeah, damn, I wish I could remember their names. Yeah. God damn it! I didn't so know it for out. a while, but we haven't talked about this in a long time. Um, I when was the last time you rewatched? Did you watch it this week? I watched it. Um, this was my. I think I mentioned on the podcast, but Elizabeth and I watched this with E.T. for a double feature Halloween night this past year for Halloween. This wow. was our double feature. Um, so, and I had seen cool. it you know, probably at least once a year. Yeah. Honestly, I've seen this movie so many times. Yeah. Any, um, I mean, this is one of those ones that anytime you find it on, it's like, yeah, I'm going to watch that. I'm going to go out on a limb and this is going to be a big moment, but I'm, I think this is going to win this entire competition. Wow. Mm. I you think, think this. You think this, this can beat Star Wars and? Um, I think it might. I'm not saying that I'm going to just Jaws? vote for it every time, but I think this might be the the best blockbuster of all time. I mean, it is. It is definitely. It left an impression on a whole like how multiple many generations. People, how many people do you know who say that this might be their favorite movie? Like, whenever I people do a Spielberg just... top five and don't put this in their top five, I hate that person. You know what I mean? I I know he's made I know he's made good movies, but this is a sure it 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 is it's it's perfect movie. It's 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 perfect. I mentioned it. We talked about the. Did we talk about the Jurassic Park movies on the franchise Face Off? And we ended up removing them because we just said, unfortunately, I, most of it just isn't nearly as good as the first one. Did we do yeah. it? Yeah, because right. we got so mad at Jurassic World. We rewatched yeah, yeah. it and we were like, God damn it. <laughs> so just to, just to remind people, my biggest argument for why I think this movie is so incredibly brilliant, why he, and there is an argument to be made for why, and certainly in the 80s and 90s, why he might have been this his generation's Hitchcock. He found a way Beyond. to, in his wonderful Amblin, um, all the family is welcome into regular people getting into unusual circumstances. 
he found a way to sneak a brilliant horror movie into an adventure film. That's right. You I mean, said that. I love that. I, I just, that. It's just so fucking effective. Yeah. That sequence with the T-Rex at night is one of the most effective sequences ever captured on film. And they and, did uh, it with a blend of new and old technology. Yep. So he was just showing the mastering of these two different totally new elements, totally old elements with just really fantastic standard effects. Uh, I just, I just, I just know that you can tip your hat enough because the storytelling is just so transcendent. Everybody I mean, this, thinks this of could this have, movie. This and... could have just been a CG movie, but it wasn't. Oh god! Uh, like, can you they, imagine? They picked a bloody Michael Crichton story, which is already spectacularly written and adapted it perfectly. This is why the new ones don't do it for me so much. Some of my favorite trivia. Uh, there's, there's a whole bunch of things about this on, on the things that Jeff mentioned, but the T Rex, the T Rex would sometimes come to life the mechanical one when they were on set then <laughs> like nobody knew it was there and everybody would just fucking freak out and get scared uh i absolutely love that i mean I sure when love... et does it it's cute but when the t-rex does it he's an yeah. asshole yeah <laughs> guys come at that, me come at is... me with your go-to jurassic park quotes what do you hear in your head oh, well, that what is, do you say well that is one big pile of shit i use that, that at work often <laughs> That is one big. Yeah. You know what I scream in my head all the time? Shoot her! <laughs> I just I fucking say that all the time in my head. You know, I think a lot. Um, yep. Clever uh, uh, girl. Uh, uh. Clever, clever girl. Oh yeah, all of his lines. He has like yeah. ten uh, uh. of them. There are like uh, uh, ten uh, lines. Yeah. That opening. Hold is on, your butts. The, yeah. The opening is. I, 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 I gotta give any anything, something. Pause. Finds a way. Mm. Yeah, life. <laughs> No, yeah, but anything, it's not, it's not just, just life. I use it on everything. <laughs> yeah. I'm always well, looking for a you? future ex Mrs. Malcolm. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's really great. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's... come on. Yeah. Shoot her. I, honestly, there's, there's just, there's just too many. Grunt! I, I, I do that a lot. <laughs> when he screams into the thing. <laughs> oh, come on. I guess we could quote yeah. this whole movie, but this is weird. As a voice teacher, I talk about the the guys that shoot the ink at the end. I forget what they're called, but one of my students just named the dinosaur, and the, they were like twelve, and I was like, "Yep, Dilophosaurus." <laughs> there you go. Just like, but with like the fucking thing in the back that shoots the ink. I literally was. I use that. Like, I talk about them a lot. Yeah, we like, have those in Australia. Is there a croc on the train? Honestly, there might be some of these creatures. Still Jeff, you touched on it, but I just <laughs> want to make sure everybody face. understands. Like, there is this movie was so effective. Two points. One, it legitimately made people think, can we bring dinosaurs back? Like, we, I think we all, yeah. like, we're like, very different from the TV yeah. show Dinosaurs on Nickelodeon. And just like Terminator 2, they're ignoring the warnings. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah seriously. <laughs> and now the second point, now that we're here, science, the community of science now knows that dinosaurs, like, looked more like birds and had feathers and stuff. And I just refuse to believe it. No, yeah, Jurassic right, yeah. Park. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, it is what they looked like in fucking Jurassic Park. I don't know. It's just, yeah, because, no, because of where they were, it was too hot, right? Because, like, the sun, they needed things that were softer that would deflect. They, this, it, it can be skin, right? And they show the bird one. There, There's a bird one yeah, in and it's, the last it's one. So ugly. Like, it's just so not ugly. quite the same. Anyway. It's just like a bunch of fucking emus and your fucking Australian bird there, Dave, and a bunch of fucking peacocks running around and eating each other it's it's a terrible world i don't want to i don't want to live in that world this is a great matchup Jurassic park gonna, wins I'm, it's I'm, a hard I'm gonna matchup go, yeah, i'm going first because i'm i already said it so Jurassic park for me dave you might be the deciding vote here because jeff i think just screamed out Jurassic park yeah no i think i'm gonna be Jurassic park too yeah, yeah. it's so good 
But there's one, li- there's one line I like in Batman um, Returns that I, I didn't say, which is when Alfred tells uh, Michael Keaton, he's like, what, you can be the only man-beast in the city? <laughs> there can only be one man-beast in Gotham City when the Penguin is rising? Okay, anyway, but it's, it's fucking Jurassic Park for sure. Jurassic Park, it, it, sh- it should be a top four for sure. And we'll be right back. That was my smart list. That's good, yeah. Uh, and then, and then I, I hit plus thirty seconds ten times. And welcome back to the show. Yeah, like a hundred thousand times. Smart list. Are we so love you. Long. Your commercials are insane. How much? So how many long. commercials oh are in your God. episodes? Are insane, you guys. I love you so much. All right, we're back, right? We're, we're back. fucking back. All right, guys. Nineteen ninety four against nineteen ninety five. Wow. So happy! So happy! Jurassic Park moved on. I was worried. No, I wasn't. But you know, it's like the '90s were so fun. Next week is fun. I can't fucking wait to announce next week's lineup here. But we got to get into it, people. 1994. God, what a year! What a year! What a year! John, what were the highest grossing movies in 1994? Oh my God Almighty! This is another one, two, three clean. At least according to the numbers for domestic. One Lion King. Two Forrest Gump. Three True Lies. Just like boom, boom, Jesus. boom. June, July, July. Just wrapping it off right there. Some other movies that you may have heard of. A little known actor had the biggest year of his fucking life. Jim Carrey. He released The Mask and Dumb and Dumber in this year, right? Didn't those come out yep. in the same year? And, and. Unbelievable. And Ace Ventura and Pet Ace Detective. Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Unreal. I mean, can you fucking imagine that? Uh, the Santa Claus came out. Speed. It was right in there with The Fugitive for me. Those are like those fucking, you know, thrillers yeah. from the early 90s. Fucking fantastic. Um, Stargate Generations. Stargate. I said Star Trek. Stargate uh, also came out. Love that movie. That was the first time I think we saw. Um, this was before Independence Day, before Day After Tomorrow. So, God damn it, help me out. What's his name? Who, who made those movies? Uh, Stargate was his first big epic uh, commercial success uh, in America after coming from Germany. God damn it, what the fuck is his name? Moonfall, Independence Day, Day of oh, Tomorrow. Yeah. Thank you. Fucking Jesus Moonfall. Christ. I love how Moonfall, we're like, oh, yes, yes. Moonfall. Oh, roll it, roll it. Hey, that movie, uh, you fucking hide it. Yeah. A little known movie. <laughs> A little known movie by a, a young author, fucking Pulp Fiction, 1994. God damn it, this year, you guys. Uh, Naked Gun, 33 and one third. I really love that movie. Natural Born Killers, Angels in the Outfield, The River Wild, Time Cop. Uh, I really like The grumpy, River Wild. Grumpy Old Men. Oh, Lord. Hmm. I watched that movie. A fucking good job. She's got an ass so fine, it's a shame she has to sit on it. <laughs> fucking <laughs> Okay. Um, Jeff, come at me with anything else. Anything else you got. There's um, so many there's a, honestly, there's so many. This, we're, 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 at this, we're at this age with, with the movies. So many movies came out this year that, like, Dave's going to kill me if I actually try to name them all. And yeah, Johnny, don't do that. I'm just going to buzz them. you. <laughs> oh, no, wait. Oh, no, my copy-paste just... I just had... What the fuck just happened to my copy-paste? Oh, no. Anyway, okay, I think I can remember all of those anyway. A um, couple things happened this year. Hoop Dreams, which, by the way, Hoop Dreams is a very mm. famous basketball documentary that took place in Chicago following two inner-city kids as they were trying to get um, recruitment for colleges. Colleges. Hoop Dreams is named number one on the current TV special, 50 Documentaries to See Before You Die. Number one. It is yeah. like one it of the best documentaries It brought documentaries into the commercial space. Yeah. I feel like that was the first time people were yeah. like, what is, what is that? Yeah, it has been preserved by the Library of Congress's National Film Registry. Um, 
couple things. I'm going to come back to Lion King at the end. Shawshank Redemption only made $73 million worldwide and was famously goose-egged at the Oscars, even though getting, I think, 10 nominations, right? You talked mm. about Jim Carrey. Gone with the Wind was the first movie to ever air on Turner Classic Movies in this year. And Pierce Brosnan was announced as Bond and Val Kilmer was announced as Batman. More on them next year. Uh, Oscars, Forrest Gump did a really good job. It won Picture. It won um, Leading Actor for Tom Hanks, who won in back-to-back years. It won Best Director for Bob Zemeckis and basically a clean sweep. Uh, Lion King did pretty well, won some Oscars for, um, guys, Hans Zimmer's score we're going to talk about here in a second. And then, of course, Elton John and Tim Rice won for Can You Feel the Love Tonight. Four Weddings and a Funeral, by the way, cleaned up at the BAFTAs. So Mike <laughs> Newell won good. for Best Director. Um, Tom Hanks, Hugh Grant won for that. Jessica Lang wins for Blue Sky. Susan Sarandon wins the BAFTA for The Client. Jodie Foster wins for Nell, but not at the Oscars. At the Oscars, Martin Landau won for Ed Wood for Supporting Actor, except oh. Samuel L. Jackson won the BAFTA. So that's a little contentious. Like, should Samuel Jackson have won for Pulp Fiction over Martin Lindo for Ed Wood? It's tough. And then Diane Weiss does the clean sweep for Bullets Over Broadway. Kristen Stop, whatever. Okay, yada, yada, yada. There's just too much shit. So two things. Kids movies. Little Big League. Little Giants. Angels in the Outfield. Lassie. The Air Up There. Airheads. The Little Rascals. Camp Nowhere. I don't the think Santa Claus John is mentioned. a kids movie. Well, it's a, <laughs> not kids, kids, yeah. but whatever. The Olsen Twins. How the West Was Fun. <laughs> awful <laughs> God, that was so good <laughs> i put junior in here just for fun the page master richie rich and i also master. put street fighter in here street put, fighter yes dude and i put my father the hero with gerard depardieu and katherine heigl because that was on tv all the time but really i should segue into what i'm trying to fucking copy paste but i think i can do it from memory so this was also a year where a lot of kid actors who would go on to huge success came out so freaky friday was this year you had katherine heigl and my father the hero you had um, Interview with the Vampire, which had Kirsten Dunst. You had um, Leon the Professional with Natalie Portman came out this year. Mm. Elijah Woods did another really big movie this year. Um, oh, um, D2 The Mighty Ducks came out this year. That's another kids movie. Um, and then I love sports movies like Blue Chips. We can go Reality Bites, My Girl 2, but no Macaulay Culkin because he's dead. Um, Just, I, I, I don't, the, the Flintstones. I remember what happened in My Girl 2. Like, did the same thing happen again? Is, is she a Black Widow? <laughs> Thumb, Thumbelina again like the, a kids movie so it was like all about kids this year because it's a very prude decade nowadays everything's adult and the kids just have to step up like they watch Euphoria and shit this was all kid shit because like the it was either hard R or kids anyway I don't feel like naming anymore if I didn't mention your favorite movie shut the fuck up alright moving on Oh, last thing about The Lion King. Let's segue into The Lion King with this. The original release made $763 million worldwide, which is pretty goddamn good. It made almost a billion dollars worldwide after re-releases, which included a 3D release in 2012, which made $185 million. A 3D re-release. Think about how many movies would kill for that. This is their 3D re-release. The Forrest Gump would go on to win to make $678 million worldwide. I should note, for those of you who don't know this, which you you should, the 2019 live action Lion King that was directed by John Favreau made 1.656 million dollars worldwide, which is the ninth highest grossing movie all time. It is ahead of The Avengers, Furious Seven, <laughs> and Maverick. You said million, but you meant billion. 1.65 billion dollars, right? You are yes. correct. And Jurassic <clears throat> World is just ahead of it, but that is right. The new live-action re-release actually significantly out-earned the original Lion King movie, but not in DVD sales, for goddamn sure. Okay, yeah, that's because they released 87 sequels. 
-hmm. and the Disney marketing scene <laughs> team sleeps well at night. They literally were like, let's just remake it and re-release it. And let's get twice the people because the kids now have kids. And This movie I've seen uh, at least 50 times. At least 50 yeah. times. Yeah, this is a solid. I rewatched it this week. Did you guys rewatch it? I did because it is I it is my favorite it is my favorite <laughs> Disney movie by far. Um, I probably watch it once a year. I, I, I got it. I'm good. This was this was one time I I engaged in some slight uh, video piracy because I I used to when I was working on stuff when I was younger I had like movies going in the background and I owned all of these movies but I I duplicated them all into one four hour tape so I had like Aladdin, Lion King. Uh, like just four fucking or three fucking Disney movies on the one tape. Yeah. And yeah. so I would just run it while I was working, just bop away and like, and yeah, this, so this was one of my go-to like. Dave, wit out yourself. <laughs> I, 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 I owned it. I didn't this distribute is another it. One of those, this is another one of those uh, following that crazy year of, uh, you know, my Aladdin, my Jurassic Park. And now this, I remember sitting in the movie theater with like my friends and like, the children in the movie did not know what to do with when that bass drum hits at the end of circle of life. We were like, Oh yeah. I, we were like, the, what the fuck? They took it so seriously. It was so intense. This is literally what I remember sitting in the theater and I remember it's, it opens with just like the zebra eating grass did, or whatever. Did you and see then the, the trailer? sound starts slowly. The original trailer. Oh my God. A million times. Yeah. And no, so it there, did that there a was bit. no trailer. It was the circle of life. The, the oh, whole yeah, fucking yeah. opening sequence. But, but, but when they did it for real. And then when it ends, like I felt like I took a breath for the first time and I was yeah. really like, what the fuck just happened? Like I, I didn't even realize I was at a movie because I was just so captivated yeah. by I this mean, scene. no one had seen animation like that when circle of life came out as, as that, the trailer. That sound, yeah. that sound fucking slaps. And just the story you get when you see Simba get baptized by Rafiki and then he holds him up. That is all the backstory we need. I don't need yeah. any more backstory. It was it was brilliant. That is what musical comedy and musical theater can do. With one song in two and a half minutes, I get centuries of lore, and then <laughs> we can and then we can start and then and then it's Hamlet. If Hamlet got to go to college uh, after his father died, that's what that's what this movie is. That revolving shot around Sembo when Rafiki is holding him up. They had done really excellent revolving shots in Beauty and the Beast. They had attempted some with older 2D technology, but using some of this uh, matte imaging that they had introduced in Beauty and the Beast, yeah. there is something so intense when you see when you reveal the look in the kids, uh, the kid, the, the cub's eyes, and when he's just being held there. Oh man, that opening just Jeff, you're right on the money. One of my favorite anecdotes about the score for this movie, written by Hans Zimmer, was when uh, in his masterclass series, he tells the story of when I think Katzenberg was talking to him, Jeffrey Katzenberg, who ran uh, Disney Animation Production at the time. He was saying, I want you to do this. And Hans Zimmer had never done any Disney movies, of course, and had mostly done like stuff with synth, synth elements, electronic elements, and they're usually more dramatic scores. And when he was uh, speaking with him, Hans Zimmer said, you know, I just don't know if I'm your guy. I, I think my version of this is, you want me to write a tale about an estranged son killing the father, coming back, this kind of redemption. This is heavy. And I think I'm, I don't know if I'm the right person. And Katzenberg says, you know, something to him like, you just go away and write exactly the score you would write if this was live action. You go away and you write the most intense, your version of this. Don't try to write a kid's movie score. And mm. look what happened when they got somebody yeah. really brilliant to just take it seriously well, and you, do it just how they would do it. Did you, mention that, did you mention that his father died when he was young? Hans Zimmer's father died when he was young? I didn't, did you, but I that's... You mentioned that. Yeah, that he, is, he mentioned that, is that. Why. and so he actually said he didn't realize until he was in the middle of working on this that he was writing his requiem mass for his father. Oh God, 
That's why it worked. Yeah. It is so good. If you ever see the Lion King movie, the, the score is so good that they just turned the score into songs because the score was so good. Um, was that his this, last Oscar before Dune? Yeah, they only he only has two. Um, <laughs> the, this is actually the B oh, team. Yeah. The reason that Elton John was brought in wasn't just because they wanted more pop scores. It's because Alan Menken was being kept busy with Pocahontas which came out the next year and they decided to spread the wealth a little bit. And actually the circle of life, the African chant that came in Elton John insisted on having somebody who was authentic to African culture come in. And they brought in a guy that, that um, the executives didn't like, I'm sure there was some racism involved. And then he like, he like wrote a chant on a napkin and started doing it. And they're like, what is that? And then he says what the words meant. And it was like exactly the point of, of the circle of life. <laughs> and so Elton John wrote basically the circle of life around this like chant that, um, this man had written anyway. Unbelievable. Did he do the opening as well? Like that. Nah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 Incredible. So I think a lot of us, whether or not we want to admit it, think more of the songs and the music and, you know, this, the African slant, the, the, the authenticity, it had just such a big effect on us compared to a lot of the other brilliant, you know, more music theater kind of sounding songs that came from a lot of other brilliant Disney, Disney movies. But let's just try to talk about the filmmaking for a second. Like the the transition in the exposition away from the, the, this prologue with Circle of Life that's so incredible to establishing the relationships within the family uh, when he's still a child. The older I get, the more I realize that performances always matter. But yeah. if, if, um, God damn it. If Jeremy Irons had not yeah, Jeremy Irons been is. so incredible at finding that perfect tone of scary comedy, it, 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 Hamlet doesn't have much of a relationship with his father at the beginning of the play. It's not, they don't spend a lot of time there. So they chose to with this adaptation. But if we also didn't get a lot of, you know, relationship with, with his uncle, in, in the play. It's just like this information is kind of given to Hamlet almost as it's, 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 it's revealed to him. So I think in a very real way, they had a big adaptation struggle of like, how much are we going to try? We don't want it to feel too, too sentimental with Mufasa and Simba, but we also want to make the relationship very real between Scar and Mufasa so that yeah. Simba can witness it a little bit. And I just feel like the exposition of their relationships, one could argue that we need, we probably need more Sarabi. We probably would, would have benefited from maybe having a little bit more... I feel like the only issue with this adaptation, if you if anybody could say anything about Lion King, is they really lean away from the issues that he might have with his mother that, that Hamlet leans into so heavily. They mm. kind of just brush that to the side. And it doesn't seem to <laughs> matter. Like, yeah, too heavy. Yeah, they don't really talk about it. They <laughs> yeah. kind of just decide if we open that door, we're going to have to tell kids that like a lion sleeps with all the lionesses and that might be confusing. <laughs> so maybe <laughs> that's why they try to lean away from it. But... If Jeremy Irons is in this movie, uh, I just don't know if we would care as much about the transition from Simba to adulthood and and what he goes through. I, I don't know. For me, anyway, I just feel like his performance like did something to this movie that mm. Hamlet alone may have lost children with. Yeah, his I mean, he, he was he was, he was so good. good. Like he talked, sang his song, and nobody cared. <laughs> like <laughs> that song is so fucking good dude be prepared the, yeah. the orchestration in it is so good um yeah is there any let, let me let me just play a devil's advocate here is there any part of this movie that you guys don't think is are as brilliant or is this like a potentially perfect film dave no this is potentially a perfect film i think it's potentially a perfect film 
I think you're probably right. I really people love people love Little Mermaid. People love Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. I think this movie. I know you you mentioned the things about his mom. It's it's, but I what I would argue is it comes back at the end and he apologizes for that, mm-hmm. and and that was that's enough for me. Mm-hmm. I mean this is this is uh, this is uh, kind he of a perfect film because on, on non-verbally, of course. Yeah, because they like they remade it in CG. There is no live action version of this movie. They remade it in CG. Um, and everyone was like, why are you doing that? You're going to ruin it. You're going to ruin it. And look, it outsold the fucking original. I still haven't look seen it. this remake. Is it fantastic? It's theaters. Yeah, it's no, pretty good. It's, it's great. Here's the one thing I say, and people laugh at me when I say this. Animals can't smile. Yeah. And so there's all these funny dialogue and stuff, and the animals just look fucking bored. And see, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that is they, true. They don't, they don't have face muscles. <laughs> so when, when in the in the actual movie, when 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 they're singing, "I'm gonna be a mighty king," and he's like having the fucking time of his life, and he's smiling, and and then in the movie, it's just like this like little fucking cat. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I did. I did like the updated um, Pumbaa and Timon joke in. Yeah, yeah, like, I kind of don't want you to tell and, me. Uh, I, no, I'm not going to tell you, but like it's it, that, that section of that song is different. Oh, so it's, 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 it is good. Billy Eichner is really funny in it. Yeah. yeah. And John, like John, um, John Oliver as, as uh, yeah, Zazu. Can I say, so I've seen Ernie Sabella, who's the voice of Pumbaa in two different productions. And it's so great. I hear his voice. I'm like, oh, it's fucking Pumbaa. He's got me. He's taking care of me. <laughs> Yeah, of course they play. This is perfect casting. Jonathan Taylor Thomas really brought it because yeah. Steve from Full House really did a good job in Aladdin. But like Jonathan Taylor Thomas, the waterhole, like I mean, that's Nala, but like the whole thing, the, the casting is perfect. Matthew Broderick is just like this weird nerdy kind of princey dude, but like entitled at the same time. It's really maybe I, maybe I could I could recast him, but I think he's perfect. And I mean, Nathan Lane is is just absolutely perfect as yes. Timon. It's perfect, perfect. Ufasa's I mean, perfect. you've also, you've also got like Rowan Atkinson floating around in there. Whoopi's in oh, there. Yeah. yeah, the casting is incredible. Yeah, who's your favorite? James character? L. Jones, of course. Who's your favorite character? Ed. Growing up, it was Ed. Cheech? For sure. <laughs> <laughs> and when I sang when I sang Christmas carols at Whoopi Goldberg's house, as we mentioned last week, talking about ghosts, all we wanted to say out loud was "cactus butt." That's all we wanted to say. Aww. Dave, I'm not coming you... out looking like you, cactus butt. Cactus butt? Yeah, and if you ever come back, we'll kill you. Yeah, that's, that's uh-huh. I hear that in my head a lot. Dave, who's your, who's your favorite character? Um, I actually think it was Zazu. I'm glad you, I could totally see you. Of course it's that. Zazu. He's funny as shit, especially, I didn't, I, as a kid, I was like, oh, he's, he's funny. The, the older I get, the more I watch this movie. Like, they, he was such a wonderful relief for the parental kind mm. of perspective yeah i feel uh, like i grew into that yeah i think Guys. for me it's pumba all the way i just I <laughs> oh like yeah, yeah. I, I just i think they're big balls of gas burning billions <laughs> every, your majesty <laughs> every every fucking line out of his mouth yeah. and jeff jeff you said about like sorry the way he is, says sorry after pumba not in front of the kids sorry. sorry yeah the best these early second golden age uh, Disney movies are just like the pinnacle of music theater for, for me. Yeah. yeah. You said the beginning and how incredible that is. I think another like, Oh my God, that's what musicals can do in a comedic song. Hakuna Matata. They skip like, you know, they have a coming of age sequence. Yeah. It's completely believable in the bridge of a song. He starts the song as an entitled Prince kid. And he ends the song as a teen hippie. Like what else can <laughs> yeah. do that in two minutes? Yeah, incredible. 
I think one of my favorite sequences in the whole movie, which it, it, it gets me harder and harder as I get older. And I'm sure the mortality, you know, you just get older and these things matter oh, more. Choose but, your words carefully. Mufasa's sure, down. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I mean, Mufasa's, <laughs> I gotta, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, cousin. I'm going to out your daughter. This is so funny. One of my cousins told me recently that she showed her kid Lion King recently and her child got so upset during Mufasa's death that she yeah. threw up. She was so oh upset and crying God. so hard. She just started vomiting because she was you know, so Disney's still traumatizing kids. <laughs> oh my God. So yeah, that is just the, the way they, Jeff, Let Dave, the boy Dave, learn. Dave, come at me, dude. The sound editing with the timing of Mufasa's scream. He could have screamed as soon as they released him. Scar. But when he, you video. know, when he first, uh, you know, long live the king, he mm. releases him, cut to Simba, cut back. And then they, ah! They just bleed it in for just a second yeah. as he's falling away. God almighty. It's so effective. So, yeah, of course, that sequence and is also crazy. It's, it's not a I'm falling to my death scream. It's a little bit of rage there, too. Yeah. Yes. God. Yes, yeah. dude. James L. I don't know if that was his only take, but he he nailed it. Yeah, right. I think my favorite sequence in the whole movie, just though. walks in for that day. Ah, I'm done. Thanks. <laughs> I'm done. He got that, and he got the uh, scream inside the Darth Vader suit for uh, the yeah. Return of the Sith, or <laughs> Revenge of the Sith. Ah, I kind of hate that. Anyway, uh, I think my favorite sequence in this whole movie, sorry, 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 is when Rafiki... Crush banana, but that whole sequence when he finds him oh, and yeah. takes him to the tree. Oh, look. Oh, yeah. He lives in you, you know, shows him the reflection, hits him on the head, comedic relief. They have drama. They have that. It leads into him seeing his dad in uh, the clouds. It's just, they, again, uh, with music theater and with good storytelling, in like seven minutes, they oh, do what may have taken uh, like theater, like, you know, 20 minutes of us to believe a, a yeah. human could go through that kind of transition. It's uh, absolutely incredible. It's, it's, it's just incredible. to me. Do you, do you think uh, in Shazam, the wizard, they were doing, they were channeling that character? <laughs> no. Rafiki, yeah. Because <laughs> that's, very, that's very the character. Like, very uh, possible. The, his pa the scream, past can hurt. His uh. screams when Simba's running away and he's just yeah. like, you know, he's got his staff up. It's yeah. just, yes, oh, gone. Yeah. going into the slow motion with the dissolves in the desert. Get out of here. Fucking brilliant. What's your All favorite right. musical cue? No, we got to do it. Just one more time. Sorry. Okay. Hard. Okay. Um, I mean, the bass drum at the end of the musical cue. You know, I mean, like uh, when, you know, it could be a song. It could be a, a, a moment, you know. I it think could it's, be a it's theme, when Simba it says... Is anybody out there? Somebody, anybody, and it's the Mine's the underscore at the beginning of just can't wait to be king. That's really good. I think for me, it's definitely return to Pride Rock at the end when he in the rain when he walks up on the like get the fuck out. That is Hans Zimmer just weeping for his father right? I mean, yeah. that is... he was six i mean that's like almost the exact age of simba right yeah He's sick he was six years old when his father passed away Hans brutal all right we have eight minutes to talk about <laughs> all right that's probably segue. all it deserves today where we are eventually going to talk about batman forever this is of course the val kilmer joel schumacher documentary um documentary about batman uh the the third uh batman movie john what happened this year Talk and, to us. Uh, what happened and, uh, this year well because we're talking about uh batman forever i just want to preemptively mm. oh <laughs> come on come on it's fun i watched this movie a lot when i was a kid yeah okay sure. number one two three batman forever number one for the summer this is incredible 
Uh, Apollo 13 came out June 30th and th- fantastic. We should talk, you know, everybody should see it again. Mm. Yeah. Uh, number, this is a big year, folks. The June 10th midsummer release. This was, as Jeff mentioned, this was Disney's push for this year. It was Pocahontas. Steven yeah. Schwartz writing music. Alan Menken coming in with, uh, no, excuse me, opposite music and Steven Schwartz on lyrics. Is that right? Um, yeah. What turned out to be a critically kind of split film, a lot of issues, as you can imagine, with potential <laughs> racism and stuff. So that movie did not do what I think they were hoping. They were hoping for Lion King a repeat. Uh, so that's number three. Some other famous movies from this year. Toy Story, November 22nd. That is number three on the list. Uh, incredible. Uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance. We've talked about that movie. GoldenEye. Get the fuck out of here. GoldenEye came out in November of the 1995. Crimson Tide, Waterworld, Seven, Dangerous Minds, While You Were Sleeping, Congo, Mortal Kombat, Bridges of Madison County, Get Shorty, Outbreak, Braveheart, Legends of the Fall, Species, Jumanji, Babe, Clueless. I mean, you know, the it list goes just on. goes on yeah. and on. It's incredible. Dave, did you say, uh, Jeff, did you say, give us some context. Did you say Billy Madison? <laughs> I didn't. Billy Madison came out on, uh, I think he came out on Valentine's Day or somewhere after that. That is correct. <laughs> when he takes um, his shirt off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chris Farley. Yeah. Uh, this is, okay, um, this is another tightly contested year. So um, Die Hard with the Vengeance actually won the worldwide box office gross battle. Uh, there were six movies within $30 million in the worldwide box office gross. Um, you mentioned all of them, but between $335 million and $366 million, there were six different movies that all made the same amount. So spreading spreading, spreading the wealth. Christopher, Christopher Reeves had his accident here in 1995. That happened. Mm, uh, Pocahontas, you had mentioned this. Maybe some of the reason that it didn't do as well is that its premiere was the largest premiere ever, where it gave away 100,000 free tickets for people to see the movie at its opening in New York City's Central Park. So cocky. <laughs> 100,000. Yeah. Do the math. That's millions of dollars they left on the table. Um, so it's just going to be a shoe in These people Batman, will say great things. Wow. We'll talk more about Batman Forever in a second, of course, but it actually beat Jurassic Park's all-time um, opening weekend total. Of It went up to $52.8 million. Dollars. Isn't that crazy? crazy? And this is the year of the seminal and or star-making comedies. So you had Mallrats, as you already mentioned, some of these, Happy Gilmore, Tommy Boy, Friday. Oh, this is Freaky Friday. Oops. Jury Duty with Polly Shore reinvents 12 Angry Men. You also have Ace Ventura When Nature Calls, the sequel, and Jumanji. So again, kind of kid-centric, but comedies maybe towards like teenagers were coming out this year. Braveheart won Best Picture and Best Director. Apollo 13 obviously did well at the Oscars too, as did Sense and Sensibilities, which won a bunch of BAFTA and introduced us to, um, well, it introduced most of us to um, Kate Winslet, who had already been out for some things. Nicolas Cage wins an Oscar for Leaving Las Vegas. Susan Sarandon for Dead Men Walking. Sharon Stone for Casino did not win the Oscar. Nicole Kidman, wait, who won the Oscar for the fucking supporting actress? I don't know. I fucked up my writing here. Brad Pitt was in 12 Monkeys, but he and, and Ed Harris was in uh, Apollo 13, but they actually ended up losing to Kevin Spacey for the usual suspects. And Mira wow. Sorvino, that's it. Mira Sorvino won for Mighty Aphrodite at the Oscars. Um, Kate Winslet was also nominated. And Chris McQuarrie, who you may know for taking over the Mission Impossible franchise, hey. he won for the usual suspects in writing. And of course, Alan Menken wins Oscars number seven and eight, all of those in a matter of about six years. Eight Oscars in six years for Alan Menken. Pretty good. Heat, House Guest, Before Sunrise, Quick and the Dead, Brady Bunch movies, Major Pain, 
Muriel's Wedding. Muriel's <laughs> Wedding. Dave, Australia on the map. Copa! Yeah, I hated that movie. Bring me my field knife. <laughs> Basketball Diaries, Casper, Bridges Madison County, Congo, Judge Dredd, Mighty Morphin, Power Rangers, the movie comes out. First night, nine months, standing in the cover, the net world, water worlds, babe. I don't, I don't feel like going on anymore. This is good. Balto came out this year and uh, Mr. Holland's Opus. Oh, and Showgirls. And Seven is another movie we talked about in this episode. Yeah, I love Seven. God damn it. Desperado, et cetera, et cetera. Canadian Bacon. All right, moving on. Well, did you guys rewatch it? I'm not going to lie. I did not rewatch it this week. I saw it uh, when we did our franchise yeah. face off. I think I watched I all of these through. again. I so. did a speed through of it this week. What'd you think? So you took speed and watched it? <laughs> I said, yeah, right. I took speed and watched it. No, it's where I realized that all of the Jim Carrey lines are so seminal that I was like, I got it. I, I, I got the scene. You know what I mean? Yeah, because I am... God, yeah, so it's, just, it's just all right, but let's just talk about the and I, giant. I re listened to our episode, by the way. You guys let me talk too much, you motherfuckers. I did not introduce Jeff Ronan for like five minutes. We had a guest on that episode, and I just wouldn't shut we, the fuck we up. We let you talk, you tried stopping you talking. <laughs> you always give me shit for talking to you. can't even hit fuck the right you. button. No, I'm oh, buzzing, John. Fuck yeah, everybody. Right. All right, all right, I'll drink. Um, so Jeff pointed out earlier, but just since we're in the same episode, we have to acknowledge. The Joel Shoemaker did a, a he he did a very very different thing with the style than Tim Burton. Yes, mm. it's still campy. That's probably the only word that I would still apply that lives through both of them because his aesthetic became very very colorful. Well, yes. I feel like that's probably the big the best sleek word we could sexy. use. Sleek and sexy, yeah, sexy, yeah. sleek, yeah. And they went as big. They were like, if Danny DeVito could go that large, like there's no bounds. So I think they gave the villains free reign to go as far as they wanted to go. Jim Carrey was on top of yeah, the I mean, fucking world at the time. So they really, you know, when he got cast, my I think they big let him surprise go was Tommy Lee Jones in this. I know. He's so. just never like, done this before. Yeah, his, his, his Harvey Dent was phenomenal. Um, I tell you what, though, if this was winning for most dramatic extras, that fucking bank guard at the beginning hands down this would be going through <laughs> that's really that, good that, Folks, he, had, best. he had way too much dialogue and and the punk rock street fighting scene those punk rock street fighters yeah were i like, really Fuck yeah i really like that one yeah that's a really with, good with chris o'donnell as robin incidentally if anyone's robin. curious the uh the bank guard at the beginning is joe grafasi and he is still working nice joe yeah. shout out bro get your sag weeks man he's he's done some good shit uh, I mean, look, this was, this was like, for me, I don't think I had ever really sensed as a child, especially because some of the franchises that had been really successful up until this point were maybe some of them were family friendly, but a lot of them were maybe not so family friendly. Um, we had not, this is a world before the, the new star Wars folks. This is a world before mm -hmm. where we are with Marvels and stuff. So I think I was just excited to go live in another Batman movie. I think I was aware of that when I was yeah. a kid going to see this. I was like, good, this isn't the end of a trilogy. This is the beginning of them just, they're going to just keep churning these motherfuckers out until we stop coming, I guess. So, you know, at the time, I thought that was really yeah. unique. Wasn't this the fourth one? No. Because Batman and Robin was slotted in there as well. That's after that this after, one. That was after this. That was after this? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, because Rob no, Robin gets the introduction in this. Yeah. Yes. With the flying, what is what's his family's name? Willindas. Flying Graysons. Or it's it's a knockoff of the Willindas, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a Grayson. knockoff of the flying Willindas. That's a good sequence. 
I like that sequence when the family dies. Really cool, fun, theatrical way to handle death and tragedy. The camera coming up to him, you know, the zoom in at the top, uh, the slow motion of them falling, just the ridiculous staged lighting. It just, it really worked. Um, At the same time, even as a child, Dave, tell me if you felt differently. I remember feeling like it was so different than Tim Burton's that, of course, people were going to be hating a little bit, but... I remember hearing about how much even, you know, people were making fun of this movie. They were making oh, yeah. fun of Al Kilmer. They were making fun of Joel Shoemaker for not just pretending I to mean, be Tim Burton. That's the DC crowd as well. Like this was the, I think this was the beginning of loving to hate DC. Um, <laughs> and cause like even now they still get like the review bombs and people just cr- like critiquing the fuck out of like, like this, uh, all their movies sometimes without, sometimes with grounds in this case, possibly, yeah. uh, but a lot of the times without grounds and this, this one just, yeah, it was, it was something different. It was a, a huge culture difference. Like we had a different Batman. We had two very big villains who just overshadowed him at every turn. Jim Carrey's come in on the background of a huge comedy career. And yeah. it's like, he's playing the Riddler. What's he going to do? And of course he's just running a mark the whole fucking movie. Um, I actually, I enjoyed Tommy Lee Jones keeping it a little bit grounded. He tried. Not much, but a little bit. Like, <laughs> he was grounded, right. yeah. But he, he, very fa- he very famously, like, did not like working with Jim Carrey. Yeah, he no. Just, he said he hated all his movies. Which is a shame. I yeah. want to mention, because Jeff mentioned it in the first, in our talk about the first Batman a few, couple episodes ago, um, after Tim Burton dropped out uh, and was not going to direct this third one, Warner Brothers offered... The Riddler, I guess, is a hope to just try to package together a really great cast and maybe attract right. another really good director. They offered it to Robin Williams, and right. he said no because he was still pissed at them pissed for about trying Joker, to yeah. bait him with the Joker. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I thought that was an interesting piece of trivia. Um, Val Kilmer and Jim Carrey became good friends, apparently, bonding over their uh, the death of their fathers as, as young men. Mm. Uh, wow. kind of heavy. I, I felt like it was a shame to throw Nicole Kidman into this mix and give her the worst fucking dialogue ever written. Her? It's, what about Drew Barrymore? <laughs> I mean, Drew Barrymore was a, a cameo. <laughs> yeah. No, honestly, like it's it's forgettable and it's just yeah. It's just I, I don't know. I don't feel like they. You made us like you made a throwaway comment at the end of our first conversation about Kim Basinger and what her I'm character does. I'm not quite does. sure how to say this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I don't know. But this one, it just seems like, yeah, everybody in this cast is huge. But to not try to create a real character with a real point of view with somebody like Nicole Kidman, who was clearly yeah. destined to be a fucking superstar and was already rising quickly. Just oh, yeah, like she was. Kind of a missed opportunity. But was there too much going on in this movie? We've already talked about this. Show, yeah, this it's, movie it's, before. it's too much. But I think Sorry, so. Dave. Yeah, I know. I think so. Like, you've got two massive megastars as... The villains, but of course, then they did the same thing straight after that and on the back of it. Yeah, but I mean, three. Of I mean, Nicole Kidman. Yeah. The Danny DeVito thing, Nicole, uh, the Danny DeVito, um, Michelle Pfeiffer thing, I think worked because Michelle Pfeiffer is hardly in that movie. Whereas, yeah, in this one, they kind of had to double, like they each had equal sort of screen time. So there were, yeah, there was a lot. And then you got the introduction of Robin and his yeah. journey, where he's like stealing the Batmobile and shit. Yeah, like you know, it's. There was Jeff. a, a lot, like they had a whole fucking origin story for a character in this. Yeah. And Jeff, do you feel the same way that you did about returns just really quickly that a lot of the Bruce Wayne, like moving in and out of his actual life is it's almost non-existent in this film. 
True, but there's a lot of Batman. At least I get more of him and Alfred in this. I actually like the single bat thing that he talked about. Not so much with Alfred in this, but I I like that we almost like go back to Batman's origin story because it like gives us just like a little bit more time to ground him. Um, I think Val was a good Batman. They did a good job. I, I know. In, in hindsight, he was like this suit was so heavy that he realized like he was literally just the person that could literally hold the suit. That was his job. Um, he, he hated it. So every single thing about it, he turned down so much money to do the second one. Yeah. We're talking like tens of millions of dollars, and it had to go to George Clooney. Fun, yeah, George. That's funny. Um, yeah, but it's I love the sleek. I, re, I I already said this. The sleek and sexy. I mean, the blue lights everywhere. There's so many lights. It did make Batman seem kind of cool, even though the movie itself. It was a good rewatch because you could tune out and go to the bathroom and stuff. And I know that's condescending, but that's that's it's just the truth. There's just so much going on in this, and the Jim Carrey lines. He was the biggest star, but. It's buffoonery. You were just saying, don't don't watch this on Adderall. Like, yeah, there's a lot no, that going might be, on. That might be Jeff. You're right, though, and I feel like I, I'm imagining a young Chris Nolan watching because even the heightened theatricality of Tim Burton, I'm imagining him as a younger man, teens, maybe probably twenties, and he's seeing this, and he's this is the beginning of somebody like him thinking, why can't we just ground these characters, and and why can't we raise the stakes? And not rely on the style of campiness. What if we actually put them in a reality and there were consequences? Because I feel like this was the first one, even as a child, when I was saying this, I remember just thinking, I'm not worried anymore. The penguin scared me. Mm. Jack Nicholson was like yeah. bothersome. This one was the first time where I felt like this is all really silly. And it's still fun, but it's very silly. So I'm not concerned at all about anything that's happening ever in this movie. And, you know. For, I mean, the closest, the closest the closest they ever got for me with Riddler was in The Batman, the Robert Pattinson film, where the Riddler was basically almost a Saw-style serial killer. Terrifying. Yeah, dude, that yeah. was fucking super effective. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's vote. Let's do it. Yep. I'm going for Batman Forever. I'm kidding. No, you're not. Yeah, me yeah. too. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> let's throw a wrench in it. <laughs> let's throw a wrench in it and just wild card Batman forever into the. <laughs> no way. I will say. I will say this. I did think at some point I was like, "Is there a way to vote back in Ghostbusters and Raiders?" But I actually think Lion King is good enough that we. I don't think that's going to happen. I think those movies are done. It's just this is how it is. Or I think Josh Baker, we'll, by the way. Brilliant, we'll, brilliant we'll see. Man. All right, um, yeah, yeah, you, maybe you already a, have something up your goddamn sleeve. Maybe there's a poll in our future. Who knows? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I hear you, Dave. Although that would fuck up the bracket like I did last time. <laughs> I think yeah. we, we got to let Ghostbusters and Raiders die, even though Raiders really could be an all-timer summer blockbuster movie. <laughs> I think we got to let it die. I, I don't know. All right, so guys. let's. can we list right. off, does somebody have it in front of them? Can we, up until now, can we list off what's moving forward just so we can it. catch people up? So Jaws and Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, E.T., Back to the Future, and um, Top Gun. Do you, do you not uh, have it in front of you? You just got the, you're going off memory? He's going off Bat memory, yeah. Batman, 1989, and 91, 91, 1991. T2. Terminator 2. Terminator 2, and then these two. And yeah. now Jurassic Park. And Lion King. Mm -hmm. There you go. No, I don't think... Matt and Mark, I know you guys are probably upset, but I feel like most people would agree with us that, that is, that's a pretty strong list. I'm excited to keep pretty moving good forward. List. I mean, the first one was hard. The second one wasn't. <laughs> next <laughs> week, guys. Next week. Yes. Ready? 1996. 
I said his name earlier, Roland Emmerich's Independence Motherfucking Day, Fuck Independence Day, yes. baby. Let's go. God, I'm excited to rewatch it. 1997, Men in Black, Will Smith, back to back. And then 1998. Uh, That's going to be interesting. Still the highest grossing, just to throw it out, we'll talk about it more, by far is Titanic is <laughs> still the highest grossing in 1998. No one's even close. But um, Armageddon is 1998's yeah. versus yeah. 1999. We're finally back in action. They are back. Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. We're into the franchise now of Star Wars coming back. So that's going to be an exciting week. Check that's us out such next a fun time. Week. Yeah, I'm excited. All right. Well, that is the sound of us <laughs> heading into our final segment of the week. Cheers, guys! Another good episode where we give you our uh, recommendations for the week in our segment. What you've been watching, Dave? We'd love to start with you, Dave. What you've been watching? I haven't really caught anything this week. I'm, we're still going through X Files. Uh, every talking, chance we, we put X Files on. Yeah, we that. talked about the Flash. I went, I went and saw that at the very first screening, and yeah, that's go and see it. It's you'll have fun. Like I it's so it's the end of the uh, like the DC EU era, but it does kind of set up a little bit. So like, stay for the one credit scene because um, it's cool. I mean, it's it's informational, but it's also kind of funny. Cool. Um, nice. Yeah. Done. I started um, Perry Mason, the uh, the series. Oh, the HBO show? Yeah, on HBO. Yeah. And I'm enjoying it. Yeah. I think if you like, you know, period noir set in LA, Perry Mason, obviously a famous character in television from the yeah. 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's fun. If you, if you want to go live in that world, they're doing a good job and it's kind of exactly what you think it is in a good way. Yeah. Um, I've done season I, one. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm almost done with one. Um, I also watched, and this was just fun, uh, Max... On Max, there's a very short four-episode docuseries uh, kind of celebrating the 100 years of Warner Brothers. So it kind of just cool. breaks it into four. And I, I enjoyed watching that. And 100 I, years of fucking with your own product. <laughs> and I finished... <laughs> did I say this? Did, <laughs> Jeff, had you and I finished the Smartless on the Road docuseries last week? Have we finished? I'm, I'm done with I it have. now. I yeah, have. I enjoyed it. I thought it ended well. I, 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 liked, nice. I liked the last couple episodes a lot. How about you? Um, so I saw The Flash with Dave in the theaters. Um, not sitting together, of course. I I'm, I'm caught up on Silo, which I like. I still like it. Um, I think they could have done the whole series in eight episodes, but it looks like they're going for ten. That's fine. Um, I watched. I rewatched Garden State. It's a long story, but I rewatched that, and I feel like I rewatched another movie. That's it's a wild movie that I rewatched, and I already forget. This is what I get. I should be writing these down on Letterboxd, and I forget. Um, I, I rewatched. There's another movie that I rewatched. Um, that's good a good stuff. one. So those are the that three movies that Jeff there's, recommended. Yeah, there's there's the which uh, one thing like and two other things he can't remember. Uh, that's but right. Watch, but that's watch right. them. We don't know what they are. But watch I them. always do them like early in the week, and then I forget them by the end. Of the, you know, you, you, I don't need you don't know you don't know me. Sure, sure, sure. We don't know. <laughs> Ford vs Ferrari. I rewatched Ford vs Ferrari. Oh, it was God, really fun. So good. <laughs> Love it's it. So movie. good, man. So good. In celebration of um, the new Indiana Jones, same director. Is that why you did it's that? So, that's right. James sure. Mangold, yeah, for sure. sure. Um, all I'm right, people, join us join us next week where we get to talk about some really, really fun 90s summer blockbuster movies. Can't wait. See you soon. Ooh.